Well, hello, Valley Creek. It's good to be with you. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. Uh, it's, uh, it's such a delight for me to be here. And uh, as you probably have heard prior, the times that I was here, I, I kind of called this my home church away from home. Uh, it's always such a delight to be with you. I, I kind of feel like a missionary that's been sent from this church. Because you might not know this, but uh, this church invests in what we are busy doing across the globe through what is called the City Changes Movement. And uh, you are part of that. So your investment allows me to speak to leaders across the globe, getting them to better understand how to think about leading churches in a missional way. And so I come and say thank you. God bless you for your investment, for your commitment to invest also in a guy with a funny accent from the other side of the world. I am really appreciative. I also want to say we're very excited because we know that this church will be sending a group from the church to South Africa to be part of the Doxideo church ministry there pretty soon. And so our guys are all excited about the Valley Creek Doxideo connection. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. I'm extremely excited about what I want to share with you today, knowing that this is the heart of the mission that Christ came to establish here on earth. We have to understand that you do not come to the church for the program. You are the program. And God wants to do amazing things in your life so that your life can become the instrument of grace that God wants to use within the context of our world. You know, when I grew up, I, I was under the impression that the idea of Christianity is that we should see how we can pull people out of the world. Now, there's some truth in that, but it doesn't end there. Because many people think that's the end of Christianity. See how far I can remove myself from the world. Actually, when I grew up, one of my favorite scriptures was, I am not of this world. <laughs> and then one day I discovered that that particular text is within a certain context. And the context was where Jesus was praying. It's referred to many times as the high priestly prayer. This is where Jesus is praying just before he's about to die and leave this world. And he's praying for his disciples. But when he prays, he says, I'm not just praying for them. I'm also praying for all those that are far off. 
that will believe in their word. In essence, Jesus was including you and me in that prayer. Now listen to what Jesus was praying. In John 17, we read this prayer. And we, we start reading from verse 15. Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. There was my favorite portion. And then he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Listen to this. As you have sent me into the world, so also have I sent them into the world. It's amazing that Jesus is praying here, Father, as, as these people are not of the world, I'm praying, don't take them out of the world. As you've sent me into this world, I'm sending them into the world. I often thought, Jesus, why did you pray that? Why did you not rather pray, Father, when they give their lives to you and they are reconciled with you, zap them with a lightning bolt and take them straight to heaven, at least we know they made it. There's another agenda here. This agenda is Christ's love for a world. A broken, damaged, confused world. And he has a, a mission with this world. And now he's praying, Father, I pray for these that will believe. I'm praying for them. Don't take them out of the world. Put them in the world. You know, I grappled with the scripture and struggled with it until one day I got a revelation. And I got this revelation when I was trying to set my dog free from fleas. <laughs> so I share with Liberty today the parable of the fleas. My dog had fleas, and so I decided I was going to comb through the hair of the dog, starting at the tail end, and every flea that I could find, I was going to capture and set my dog free from it. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's a pretty challenging exercise. <laughs> and so while I'm trying to do this, a friend of mine arrives and asks me what I'm doing. So I explain to him my project. And he looks at me and he says, but Alan, why don't you just go buy a flea collar at the store? I thought, well, there's an idea I never thought about. So I, I went to the store, got a flea collar, put it around the neck of the dog, and within three days, all the fleas are gone. I'm intrigued. I'm amazed. I'm trying to figure out how does this system work? I mean, how do the fleas at the tail end know there is now a flea collar around the neck of the dog and it's time for them to get off? I mean, how did they know it was a flea collar? I did not explain it to them. I had the instructions with me. But somehow every flea knew it's time to get off. 
So I went back to my friend and I said, could you explain to me how this works? He says, well, it's pretty easy. He says, on this, on this collar, there is a powder. And when the dog moves, the hair brushes against the collar. It releases the powder. The powder sits on the skin of the dog. It's then assimilated through the skin into the bloodstream of the dog. And now it builds up an immunity in the bloodstream. And now as the blood circulates through the dog, when the flea at the tail end bites the dog, the flea dies and the dog lives. <laughs> and I said, hallelujah, I now understand John 17. Because this is what Jesus was praying, right? Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the flea nest of this world. Put them right in between the fleas. New translation. <laughs> but do something to them. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Let truth so find opportunity in their lives. Let truth come and arrest their minds and their hearts in such a way that it will build an immunity within them that when they enter into the world, they will not be affected by the world, but they will affect their world. Wow. You know, when I discovered this principle, I suddenly understood that the reason why we engage with truth, the reason why we, we come together on a regular basis to engage with truth is, is not just to qualify to go to heaven. Truth is designed to empower you to live this life in this world because it repositions you. The question is, what is this truth that is so powerful that it can reposition a human life, that it can so empower a, an individual that, that that individual can enter into a broken, damaged, sinful, confused, world and not be intimidated or infatuated, but enter that space to bless it and to affect it and to transform it. What is that truth that is so powerful? Of course, we understand that truth has to do with Christ and our understanding of redemption and our inclusion in that reference. And that's why it's so important for every individual to discover that you have died with Christ, you were raised with Christ, and you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You see, when you discover that, it repositions who you are. And you suddenly discover your true identity because now you recognize that you've died to the old Adamic identity. 
You died to sin. You died to its stronghold over your life. You died to that defining who you are. And the Bible says we were raised with Christ into newness of life. For they that are in Christ, they are new creations. We are defined by another reference. You see, Adam no longer defines our identity. Our identity is now defined in Christ. And the more I discover who Jesus is, the more I discover his intent for my life. And so important for me to understand my identity because identity precedes activity. The way I see myself determines how I live. But not only was I raised with Christ, the Bible says I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I've been repositioned in a way that my life now becomes a vehicle of grace, a vehicle of influence, a My life can now be used by God because I am repositioned. And if I understand that, that truth arrests my life. And I now become an instrument of grace to my world. You see, this world desperately needs us. The world desperately needs us. There's a... A saying that I know you, you've quoted here in the U.S. too, but it's an African saying that says, it takes a village to raise a child. Now, now, basically, what it means for us is that your context, your world, determines how you think about life. Your worldview, your beliefs, your values, your behavior is affected by your village, your context. I mean, it's fascinating for me when I uh, came to the States, uh, I realized that things are different here. I mean, you, you play your football with helmets on, <laughs> and then you ride your motorcycles without them. <laughs> and you think that's right. You know, it's much more than helmets. It's the way you perceive your reality. And here's the question. If it's true that it takes a village to raise a child, if it's true that your village has an influence on how you see your reality, the question is, who raises the village? Who determines what the values of our culture of our surroundings, of our environment will be. You see, the reality is, if the church is absent, if Christ-loving people are absent in that dialogue, it will be determined by secular, humanistic people who are godless. We have to be present in our world. But you know, many times we are, we're like the people of Jerusalem. Oh, they loved Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was the city of God. Jerusalem was the, the place where God 
dwelt. It was the city that was designed within the construct of how God wanted the city to be ordered. It was Jeru Shalom. Shalom meaning peace. Now peace for the Jew was very different to how we use peace. You know, we would, we would use the word peace as the absence of the negative. You know, now there's peace because there is no more war. But the Jew saw peace totally different. For him, it was the presence of the positive. As a matter of fact, these are the concepts that are defined for this word, shalom. It means completeness, wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, and harmony. These are the concepts that are captured in this thought of shalom. It's interesting how the, the term is used in Scripture when the Israelites go through the Jordan, the Bible says they built an altar of unhewn stones. That word unhewn, unbroken, is the word shalom. They built it with whole stones. When the wall is built and Nehemiah completes the wall in 52 days, the word that is used there for completed the wall is shalom. Can you see the picture? It means whole, complete. And this is what Jerusalem reflected. It was the city of wholeness. It was the city of completeness. It was the city of God. It was the, the, the spiritual mecca for their lives. But there was another city in the Bible a few hundred times in the Bible, Babylon is the antitype of Jerusalem. And Babylon was everything that Jerusalem was not. And so the Jews despised Babylon. It was a city that was representing the flesh and sin and, and everything that was bad. If a good Jew wanted to insult you, he would say, man, Go to Babylon. <laughs> but then the unthinkable happens. The Babylonians come all the way to Jerusalem and they conquer Jerusalem. They break down the walls of Jerusalem, they break down the temple, and they take the people of Jerusalem all the way as exiles to Babylon. And here they're sitting in Babylon. They cannot believe what has happened to them. And they're praying, Lord, deliver us. The Bible says they sat there at the rivers of Babylon and they, they hung up their harps on the willows. And then the Babylonians come to them and say, hey, we hear you guys sing such beautiful songs. Can you sing us a song? And they say, by the rivers of Babylon. How will we sing a song in a strange land? What they were saying is, how, can we, how could we exercise our spirituality? How can we partake in that which is so precious to us here in Babylon? 
We have to go back to Jerusalem. That's where we can worship. That's where we can sing our songs. That's where we can engage with God. It's, we, we cannot do that here in Babylon. And so they're praying, Lord, deliver us from Babylon. It's within that context that God starts to speak to them through the prophet Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 29, we read about God speaking to them about their engagement in Babylon. And we often quote this verse, verse 11. Listen to what the word says. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of shalom. Wow. And not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God is saying this to them in Babylon. But you know, it must have been verse 7 that really rocked their world. Because listen to what the prophet says. God speaking through the prophet. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. God says, I, I mean, this must have blown their minds. I can just see those Jews. Lord, you brought us here? You're actually in this? You've put us here in Babylon? Because that's what God says, where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Now he says, now seek the peace, seek the wholeness, seek the shalom of the city that I have placed you. Because when you seek its peace, you will have peace. I can just see them sitting there saying, Lord... Couldn't you find another way? God says, no, I, the only way I can bring my peace into this place, into Babylon, is I have to send my agents who are the carriers of shalom, who are the people who understand shalom, who are the people who have been experiencing shalom, those people that are growing in this reference of shalom. I need them to go and represent shalom within the context of Babylon. This is what Jesus was praying. Father, I pray not that you take them out of this world. Sanctify them by your truth. But as you've sent me, I send them. You know, maybe tomorrow you'll be driving to work Many times on your way there, your prayer might be, Lord, set me free. <laughs> when you think about your boss and all the people that are working with you, you are not thinking thoughts of shalom. <laughs> Here's our challenge. You see, we have to connect Sunday's life-giving experience to Monday's life. 
And we need to understand that the empowerment that God brings into our lives is for a reason. But many times we are so overwhelmed, we're thinking, what difference can I make? It's like the disciples when they were feeding the 5,000 and, and we see how immediately they were confronted with, with the challenge. There's just too many people. We don't have enough food. And so they come to Jesus with their concern and they say, Lord, let's send the people away. But Jesus says, go break up this group into groups of 50s and 100s. And so they go and do that and they get the people into groups, but it must have been challenging because there must have been somebody asking the question, why are you doing this? Well, we, we, we think. And then they come back to Jesus and then Jesus goes. Remember the loaves and the fish? He blesses it and then he breaks it. And you know what's interesting? Jesus doesn't break the bread and the fish and build a whole reserve so that the disciples can feel really secure. You know, at least now we can see there's enough bread and enough fish. We're really going to make a difference today. We're going to feed all these people. He breaks it. And he puts it in the hands of the disciples. And then he looks at them and he says, guys, go feed the people. I can just see that disciple. <laughs> There's a bit of tension in that moment. I see him looking at Jesus. But Jesus said he better go do it. So I see, I see him go down to the group of 100 and then decide let's rather start with a group of 50. <laughs> I, I see him. I see him breaking that first piece. <laughs> I guarantee you that first piece was a small piece. <laughs> Why? He's a smart disciple. This stuff's got to last. So I see him breaking the piece. I mean, can you imagine the guy that got the first piece? <laughs> I can just see him. So this is it? You guys went to all this trouble for this? I see him trying to explain. I'm so sorry, man. It's like, and then I see him breaking another piece. Second person. I see him breaking another piece. And then he breaks another piece. And as he's breaking the pieces, he becomes aware, but there's something happening in my hand. And so he, he tests it, breaks off just a little bigger piece. Oh, breaks off another little bigger piece. Hey, 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 help yourselves, right? That's what's happening as he was breaking the pieces. He became aware that God was with him. 
You see, many times we are so intimidated, we are so overwhelmed, we, we look at our world, we look at the reality, we, we ask this question, what difference can I make? Folks, listen, we're not there to try and calculate how we can take over the world. We are called to just start breaking the pieces. Just start breaking the pieces. So we engage our world at the level where we feel we can take the next step. For some of you, it might just be that you're just going to change your attitude going to work. For others, you, you're going to find opportunity to, in the boardroom, represent kingdom principles. Some of you will be teachers that walk into that classroom and you recognize that you are the Adam of God that, that, that is now called to, and this is your garden and you're gonna guard and tend it and you're gonna bless and you're gonna speak life and you're gonna represent the kingdom well. Because that's our calling to navigate the journey to seek the peace of the place where God has put you. So that you can flourish in that environment as a faithful and a fruitful presence for the kingdom. What does it mean to be a faithful presence? Well, it means to go as Jesus sent his disciples. Remember when Jesus sends his disciples out, he says, I'm sending you as lambs amongst wolves. Man, if I was a disciple, I might have raised my hand and said, Jesus, can't we rather go as wolves amongst lambs? It just feels like we have more control. Jesus says, no, go represent the kingdom. And it will, you will feel as if you are weak. But when you're weak, you are strong. And so where there's hatred, go with love. Where there's greed, go with generosity. Where there's bitterness, go with forgiveness. Where there's self-centeredness, go lay your life down. Go and represent the aroma of Christ well. Be a faithful presence. But also a fruitful presence. Ask God to give you those moments that become catalytic moments of Godly influence, of speaking into circumstance, of being able to serve and bless and transform your world. You're called because you are the truth carriers to affect this whole region for the kingdom of God. Seek the peace, the shalom of this region, for in its peace, you will have peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we can be part of this incredible agenda on this planet to represent the kingdom of God in an incredible way within this world. And so... Today we come before you and we bring our lives before you and we pray, Lord, infuse us, quicken us, empower us in such a way that we will represent the kingdom.
kingdom of God well. Be glorified through every life. Be glorified through this ministry. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. And we say thank you. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.